abortion awareness. So uh, we're blessed to have you today. And I know Linda and her husband for, what you say, you started out a couple years, you were going to do this. And 50 years later, her and her husband are still sounding the alarm on, uh, on pro-life and, and pre-born, pre-born, right? Pre-born, get that right, amen. So Mark, blessed to have you. You come and, and you give us the word, brother. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today, is it not? Amen. So I'm going to run the risk of uh, ruining your morning to start out, sorry. But we're going to start out with a video clip. Oh, by the way, before I forget, if you want to follow Created Equal, go to createdequal.org. I also have a podcast and radio program that you can pick up on uh on all the popular podcasting platforms, that's markharrington.org. If you want to stay in, you know, educated about what's going on in the culture wars, pick me up on social media and the podcast, markharrington.org. Just had to throw that in there. So, <laughs> but like I said, I'm going to run the risk of ruining you in the morning here. I'm going to play a video clip of Joe Biden. Now, I know, you're like, oh, Mark, do we really have to endure this? Unfortunately, yes. Now, this is Joe Biden when he's vice president of the United States talking about abortion, and I think it's going to be instructive to what I'm going to be speaking on this morning. My personal life. But I refuse to impose it on equally devout Christians and Muslims and Jews. And uh, I just refuse to impose that on others, unlike my friend here, the, the congressman. Uh, I, uh, I do not believe that, um, uh, that we have a right to tell other people that women, they, they can't control their body. All right. So. What, what is Joe Biden's position? At least it was when he's vice president of the United States. He said, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I will not impose my position on the American people. In other words, he's saying, I won't legislate against abortion. I'm personally opposed, but I won't tell anyone what they can do with their own bodies. That is the classic pro-choice position, is it not? We hear it all the time. Now, before you scoff at that and say, well, how can someone hold that position? Let me submit to you that that is not very different than a lot of Christians in America. They'll say, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I don't think I should tell anyone what they can do with their own body. We hear it all the time, all the time. And so what I want to do this morning is talk about how that position is unbiblical, how we cannot hold that position as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, it's funny because, you know, Joe Biden would have no problem imposing his position on climate change, would he not? He probably would have no problem imposing his position on immigration, for an example, would he? And the truth of the matter is, is that Joe Biden now, as President of the United States, has no problem imposing his pro-choice position on millions of Americans, does he not? He wants to wipe out the Hyde Amendment, which uh, 
forbids federal tax dollars going to support abortion. He supports the Women's Health Protection Act, so-called, in the U.S. Congress, which would impose Roe v. Wade types of uh, uh, laws all across America. So it's no you know, news to us that Joe Biden's being hypocritical here. But I submit to you there are a lot of Christians that hold this same view. In their own lives, they'll say, I'm personally pro-life. But they do very little to do anything to stop it. And so what I'd like to do here, I'm going to share from a story that's going to be very familiar to you. And this story is found in Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, I please open it up. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And this is a story that teaches us that we cannot separate our religious or personal life for our own public life. It just can't be done. And this story answers the question and lays out a basic foundation, a biblical foundation, on how we should defend the unborn or the preborn. And as you can tell, this is a familiar passage where Jesus asks the question, who is my neighbor, and launches in to what we understand to be called the Good Samaritan parable. So let's go ahead and read together Luke 10, verses 25 through 29 to begin. All right? And it says in verse 25, And a lawyer stood up to him and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I'll stop right there. I don't know about you, but that is the quintessential evangelical question, is it not? It's the softball question that we would all want someone to ask us who's a non-believer. Now, I will also say, the way Jesus answers it is probably not the way we would answer it. I would first probably launch into the Romans road. I would tell them about Jesus Christ and how he came to die on their behalf. So through him, they can have eternal life. It's the right answer. Or I might talk about the four spiritual laws. Again, completely legitimate way to answer this question, but it's interesting how Jesus answers it. Not the way we would likely answer it, does he? What's he say? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How does it read to you? Think of it. And the lawyer said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? So we have this lawyer. Now, he's not a lawyer like we have today. This individual was a scholar, someone who understood the Old Testament and could lay it out for anyone. He was an expert in the Old Testament law, and he came to test Jesus. 
despite the fact that he was going to test Jesus and Jesus knew it, he answered his question. He answered his question. And what does he say here? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. So what is the, what's Jesus saying here? What's the lawyer saying? Basically, he summarized the Ten Commandments. We know this, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. And in the, in the book of Matthew, there's a, the same parable. And Jesus says, upon these two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, upon these two commandments, the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, hangs upon these two. The entire thing is summarized in those two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, Jesus wasn't adding two to the, tw- to the ten. We get that, right? You guys understand that, right? He wasn't saying, oh, there's ten, now there's twelve. No. He wasn't adding two more. He was summarizing them. He was summarizing them. And we understand the first one through four were what? About loving God. Loving God. And the second commandments, the set of commandments, five through ten, are about loving your neighbor. But the lawyer says he was wishing to justify himself. He says, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So he's trying to find, the lawyer's trying to find some kind of technicality that gets him off the hook. And that's what lawyers do, don't they? They try to find little pieces in the law that get their clients off the hook. That's what happens today. And it's very little different from back then. He was trying to test Jesus. He was trying to catch him. He was trying to find one little thing that he could find fault in so he could discredit him before his followers. Who is my neighbor, he says. Is that just the person that lives next door to me? Is that just the people that are in proximity to my life? Who is my neighbor? It's easy to say, well, I don't know that person. What's Jesus do? He takes him to his word, and he tells a story. He tells a story. And what's so powerful about this story is that not only does it give us a picture of what it would have been like to be in those days back in Israel. By the way, I, w- I got the, the amazing uh, opportunity to travel to Israel this year. And we did a, a, a week-long tour of Israel following the steps of Jesus. In a lot of these places, we've, you know, we read these scriptures where the very places where Jesus spoke them. What a powerful time. But when I think about this passage, I think to myself, Jesus just wasn't talking about them there and now. He was talking about us. I think this passage, Jesus told this story thinking about 21st century America. And he knew this would have application in the year 2023. And he knew that we would be able to apply this to the neighbor, the unborn, the preborn. So this passage has a lot of application to what we're dealing with today, with the abortion holocaust and the victim that is the preborn child. 
So let's go ahead and read the parable, starting in verse 30. So Jesus is answering the question of the lawyer who said, who is my neighbor? And he basically talks about four individuals in this story. We know them well, and I'll go through each one. Let's read this together. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn. And he took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of the three, Jesus asked, do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. So here's the story, answering the question from the lawyer. That question was, who's my neighbor? And Jesus talks about four individuals, four different characters who responded to the beating victim differently. So we look at verse 30. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, if you notice, the man doesn't have a name. It says in the uh, New American Standard Bible, a certain man. He's anonymous, doesn't have a title. The others have titles priest, Levite, Samaritan, they have titles in the story. But the man doesn't. He doesn't. He remains anonymous. And so it is today, is it not? The unborn have no names. Why? Because like this victim, the man who fell among robbers, he ended up in a ditch somewhere. Right? And so it is with the unborn. They have no name. Why? Because they never get a birthday. They never get named. Where do they end up? They end up uh, as medical waste to be burned in incinerators and treated like common garbage. So just like the man who fell among robbers and who was beaten and left to die in a ditch has no name, neither do the preborn. Neither do the preborn. So that's the first character in our story. 
The second is the priest in verse 31. And by chance a priest was going down on the road, and he saw him and passed by on the other side. Okay, so we got a religious guy here, right? Now he saw him in the ditch, and what was his reaction? He just passed by on the other side. So he's walking on the road to Jericho. He sees the beating victim, and sees him, and just keeps on his way, right? Just like this. Now, because he's a religious man, he probably had religious things to do that day. Did he not? More than likely. Who knows? He might have been teaching a Bible study. It's a good thing to do. But the fact that that person in the ditch that did not interrupt his life enough for him to change his behavior that day because he was a religious man, you see. He had religious things to do. And so it is with the church today, often. We're caught up in a lot of religious activities. They're not wrong in themselves. In fact, they're all good, mostly. But like this individual, this priest... Those things were more important than actually taking care of the beating victim, which he knew, if he knew the Old Testament, and he did, that he was supposed to do something about that. But what did he do? He might have been attitudinally against this happening. He was probably, you know, in his mind, he probably figured... This is wrong. I know it's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong that this happened to this individual. Right? If he knew the the scriptures, he knew that there were plenty of them out there that he needed to defend them. But yet he he just walked by on the other side. And so it is today. There are a lot of Christians in America who are attitudinally pro-life. You ask them, they'll say, I'm pro-life. There are churches that say they're pro-life but they're barely lifting a finger to defend the unborn. Barely lifting a finger. And I say this, it's cold comfort to the unborn if you say you're pro-life, but you do nothing to defend them. It's cold comfort to them. It doesn't mean anything. What matters is your behavior. So the priest was attitudinally against this happening to the beating victim. The problem was, he wasn't behaviorally against it. His life wasn't structured in a way to keep this from happening or to help out those who end up in the same situation. All right, let's look at the Levite. Verse 32. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, He passed by on the other side. Again, very similar to the priest here. Again, probably had something important to do that day. Maybe go to the food pantry. Maybe take care of the poor and the hungry and the sick. All good. But when confronted with the beating victim right before his eyes, did nothing, did nothing to help him out. And again, so it is. The church remains almost silent on abortion all across America, in many places. Obviously not this one, praise the Lord. 
But again, he was attitudinally, more than likely, against what happened to the beating victim. But he did nothing to change his behavior that day. Let's look at the fourth individual. That is the Samaritan in verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Ah, okay. Here we go. So the Samaritan had a totally different reaction than the priest and the Levite. And we want to take a minute and kind of look at the actions of the, the Good Samaritan here and, and draw that out and draw some conclusions about what we can do as Christians when it comes to the abortion issue and the unborn and the preborn child. So in the next several verses, the Samaritan does a couple of things that we can draw out as to how we should be acting when it comes to this Holocaust. And so, there are five, I call, S's here of social justice. Five S's that we can pull out, five individual action points that we can look to to apply to the current situation we're in with the contemporary beating victim of today, which is the unborn. All right, let's read these now. In verse 33, so, but a Samaritan was on a journey, came upon, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Okay, so the first reaction of the Samaritan was what? Just like the priest and the Levite, he's on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, but like the, like the priest and the Levite saw him, saw the beating victim, they kept on the road. But what did the Samaritan do? Something happened inside. He felt compassion. He was broken for the beating victim. And so it should be with us. We should live every single day of our lives broken over the plight of preborn children. That was the first thing that happened. It was emotional. Now, I know a lot of us think, oh, you know, we need to limit our emotions and keep them under control and all that. No. When it comes to things like this, the gravest injustice that has visited the human race, the wholesale slaughter of unborn children, not just in America, for the last 60 years or, or 50 years, but all across the world. We need to feel something, feel compassion for the unborn. We should have sympathy and empathy upon them. That was the first thing. That's what the, that was the spark that lit the fire in the Samaritan's heart that changed his life forever. And let's move on. Verse 34, what else happened? And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds. So he came to him. All right, so we've got, here's the Samaritan. He's on the road to Jericho from Jerusalem. He saw him. He felt compassion. And what did he do? He came to him. He changed his direction. And he approached him. Now, 
The priest and Levite didn't do that. They just kept going on the other side. So the Samaritan interrupted his day, because I'm certain he probably had things to do as well. Why? Because of what he saw and how it affected him emotionally. He changed everything, and we'll read on. He changed everything about his life that day by seeing that beating victim. He came to him. He approached him. What does that mean? He probably got down into the ditch, right? And it says that he came to him and bandaged up his wounds. Bandaged up his wounds. So he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds. That means he got down into the ditch, which was probably mud, muddy and bloody and all that. And what did he do? He bandaged up his wounds. He ministered to the beating victim. And so it should be with us as pro-life Christians. We should be helping the unborn. We should be helping with crisis pregnancy centers, pregnancy resource centers across America because we want to take care of unborn children and their mothers. So he bandaged up his wounds. And then what? In 34, it says what? That he, they bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them and put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. So again, he's walking on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He sees the beating victim. He feels compassion. He changes his direction that day. He comes to him. He bandages up his wounds. And then what does he do? He gets down and lifts the beating victim, probably up on his shoulders, throws him on his own beast. He shared in the plight of the beating victim. He wasn't just hands off. Priest and Levi just went the other way. No, no. He got down and dirty. He got into the muck. And he picked him up, put him on his shoulder, thrown on his own beast. He took personal responsibility for what had occurred to this person, right? The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that we should bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, right? So when you see somebody in a, in a bad situation or downtrodden or in trouble, we should share in that burden, the scripture says. That's what the Samaritan did that day. He said, it's not just his problem. It's my problem now because of what I've seen, right? And that should be the same with the unborn. It's not just over here, out of sight, out of mind, right? No, no, we know what's going on. We know what's going on. And because of that, we need to be participating and we need to be bearing the burdens of the unborn and sharing in their suffering, sharing in their suffering. You know, I'll just show you a little anecdote. You know, we use abortion victim photography on college and high school campuses all across America. And we stand next to these images in very hostile like, locations, let's just say. <laughs> like Bowling Green and, you know, University of Toledo, Ohio State University, this kind of thing. And, of course, you can imagine the abuse we take from people who are pro-abortion. And I have told my team, I said, you know what, if there comes a day 
that these pictures don't have an effect on anybody and they're just passed by and we're completely ignored. I said, you know what? I'll still stand next to one of these pictures. You know why? Because there's something I need to identify with the suffering of the unborn. And the way I identify with them is that I, will, I am willing to invite persecution on myself for what happened to them. And so it should be with us, with the unborn, and of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should become personal. It has to become personal. All right, what is the last one? He supported the beating victim. It says in verse 35, on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So it wasn't just a one-time event. It wasn't just a one-day thing, a one-off, as we say. No, no. He took him to the inn, and he said, when I return, when I return, when I return. So he stayed involved. In other words, this was more than just one thing. It, was, it changed his life. And it, I assume there was a commitment made by the Samaritan to always be defending people like the beating victim, right? And so it's an ongoing thing, right? We have this August 8th election coming up in two days. Then we have the November election. I can tell you this. I Hopefully you, you are amongst us that win or lose on either one of those, whether it be August 9th or November 8th, we're going to be engaged irrespective of the outcome. Right? Right? And we're going to commit to the ongoing defense of the unborn. We have to stay involved. And I will say this. There was a financial component here. What did he say? What's it say? It said he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. So he supported it. He gave him money. And so should we. We should be supporting pro-life organizations, pregnancy resource centers, and anything to do with the help of unborn children. All right. Now, what I'd like to do is transition from this to a video. This was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is, I think, in 1965. And Dr. King talks about the Good Samaritan parable. And he relates it to racial injustice. But I think it's very instructive to how he kind of juxtaposed the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. So I want to go ahead and play this clip. Um, now, you know, we use our imagination a great deal to try to determine why the priest and the Levite didn't stop. But I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that those men were afraid. You see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho, you're about 2,200 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. 
in the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody pass. And you know it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking, and he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. That's a strong message by Dr. King. In other words, he's saying that the priest and the Levite were worried about what would happen to them rather than if, 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 if they got involved. Rather than if I don't get involved, what will happen to him? See? It's fear that keeps us from doing what we should be doing when it comes to defending the preborn. It's fear. Not the fear that he was that the priest and the Levite might be facing, which might have been death, right? Because the robber might have been nearby, as Dr. King said. That we don't face that type of fear, at least currently, right? But it's the fear of what? What are people gonna think of me? What are they gonna say about me? What about my reputation? I won't be liked anymore if I do this. I'll make enemies. I don't like this. I don't like that. I'll be controversial. I'll have to be dealing with people who don't agree with me a lot. That's the only thing we're facing more than likely. Now as times change, who knows what might come, right? But we need to be willing to take on that kind of opposition. Because we need to ask the question, if I don't get involved, what will happen to them? And I can tell you what will happen to them. We will continue to see abortion in our land. The Church of Jesus Christ does not stand up. So the two points to this parable are this. Injustice must be seen to be understood. Injustice must be seen to be understood. The priest, Levite, and Samaritan all saw the beating victim. But only the Samaritan was the one who changed his behavior that day and committed to defend them. And justice must be seen to be understood. And for the next several minutes, I'm going to play a video. I know you've watched this before, according to Pastor Jeff. And the reason why I'm going to play this is that you need to be reminded that this is still happening every single day in America. Because... We don't see the beating victim. Like in this case, we don't see them being killed at 60 times a day. One school bus of elementary kids are killed every single day in, in Ohio. That's the number. We don't see that very often, do we? I mean, unless you see a, a video like I'm going to be playing you. So it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. That's why it's so difficult to make our case without using images of preborn children. So I'm going to play this video. It's 60 seconds long just to again remind us of what we're, or who we are defending.
Let's pray together. In Jesus' name we pray, God, we ask, God, that you would grant us mercy for all the millions of children that have died under our watch. We pray, Lord, that the church would come to repentance, that we would realize that we have been quiet that we've been like the priest and the Levite in many respects, that we've just walked by on the other side as this has been going on now for 50 years in our country. And we pray, Lord, for those who might have been directly involved in abortion, affected by abortion, whether directly or indirectly. We pray, God, that they would come from, from uh, behind the shadows and come forward, Lord, and seek healing that only comes through your son Jesus Christ and we ask God that there would be thousands upon thousands of men and women that would come to the foot of the cross and repent and receive forgiveness for this sin Lord we know that it's not the unforgivable sin and there are millions of women who live in darkness in churches all across America because the pulpits refuse to speak on this and to offer forgiveness for those who have participated in it. We pray that would change, starting now. And Lord, we'd be remiss not to ask that we would have victory on August 8th. We pray, God, for a positive vote, yes. And then on November 7th, Lord, we pray that this state of Ohio would remain free of these types of laws, and the, the type of thing that the enemies of life are trying to enshrine into our Constitution. Grant us mercy, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so finally, let me wrap this up. The unseen victims are the unborn, and we need to show them, and that's what we do at Created Equal. I'm going to share with you quickly two projects that we've been working on that we have been able to release oh sorry oh here's my final point sorry I forgot about this feeling compassion is different than showing compassion right so the the Samaritan felt compassion but he also what showed compassion that's an action verb <laughs> showing compassion he did something about it all right so let me show this video clip. This is uh, a project that we have unveiled recently. We believe that abortion needs to be seen to be understood. We believe the American people are still ignorant about the truth about what abortion does to unborn children even after 50 years. Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry is working full-time to cover this up and unfortunately much of the church is unwilling to face it. And so we are forced to go into the public square and use the First Amendment to share with Americans what abortion is and does. Because you have to see it to believe it. You can't outlaw something you don't know what it is. And so we have come up with unique ways of getting these types of pictures and images in front of the American people. Hey, Mark Harrington here. This is one of them. This is a video screen that we've unload, uh, unveiled, we've been using videos in public for years, jumbotrons on college campuses, playing abortion victim photography. But now we're going mobile. And again, the reason is because a lot of people won't come to us, we have to go to them. 
You know, if you say, hey, I'm going to have a talk on pro-life, guess who comes? The pro-lifers do. Pro-choicers aren't going to come to a talk on abortion. You've got to go to them. That's why we go to college campuses. That's why we go out in the public square. So this is a, what we call a mobile LED screen. It's, it's three screens on the back of a pickup truck. And we've had some success. Other people around the country are beginning to, um, to deploy a similar thing to it. So here's... here's Hey, Mark Carrington here, president of Created Equal, and I have some exciting news to tell you. Created Equal is taking our Jumbotron technology mobile. Our new mobile video billboards consist of three LED screens mounted on the sides and rear of a pickup truck. By taking this technology mobile, we increase our reach dramatically. Instead of having people come to us, we go to them. These video screens are also versatile enough to be removed and displayed on a college campus or any urban setting, including in front of a high school or abortion center. Images of injustice awaken the conscience. It's a baby. Right. It's innocent. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called this phenomenon creative tension. Images of injustice cause people to think about something they would normally ignore. You've heard the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if a picture is worth a thousand words, then a video is worth a million words. The fact is, abortion pictures and videos change hearts and minds. If you'd like this project to come to your college or town, or if you'd like to donate to our work, contact us at createdequal.org. Because pictures work. We know that with ultrasound imagery, by the way. And so not only are we using abortion victim photography and video, we're also using ultrasound imagery in mobile units, which we are positioning on border states where abortion is illegal. So we launched a project in conjunction with a group called Vans for Life that creates these, video, uh, these, these, um, these vans. And we are going to be positioning these mobile ultrasound units on the borders of abortion-free states. In other words, for example, let's just say Ohio, we defeat these, the measure in November, and Ohio becomes an abortion-free state for all intents and purposes with the heartbeat bill. Uh, of course, we want to end abortion altogether, but uh, no longer will women in Ohio be having abortions. They'll be crossing the border to M Michigan or possibly Pennsylvania. And the notion here is to position these mobile units outside the abortion facilities in, in states where abortion is still legal. Michigan be a place for that. Because we have to be mobile. The ever-changing landscape of the post-Roe world. Things are changing rapidly. States are banning abortions. States are expanding abortion. And, you know, we have to be able to be versatile enough and innovative enough to react to the to what's going on. So we have come up with this with the help from Vans for Life. We're going to be positioning one of these in southwest Ohio that'll be outside the Women's Med Center in Dayton, which is a late-term abortion facility, and also in Cincinnati at the Planned Parenthood. Because right now, currently, because Ohio law is what? Is it 22 weeks? 22, so people, I mean, women are traveling from Kentucky to Ohio to have abortions currently. Uh, hopefully that won't last very long. And you know that Indiana just last week, praise the Lord, 
uh, outlawed abortion altogether, and that's going to be now forcing women to go to other states. So we set up these mobile units on the borders, and so I want to play this. This is a short clip of that project. We need border states rescue units, ultrasound units that would be placed on the borders of states like Michigan, which are now abortion havens, so that women, parents, who might be crossing the border from Indiana or Ohio or other states where abortion is severely restricted or banned, would be coming to have their abortions. Created Equal is putting these on the borders of border states, and we need them more than ever in a post-row America. This innovative effort is vital to save the lives of preborn children. All right, amen to that, eh? All right, let me finish with this. Last year we experienced the overturning of Roe versus Wade, something that all of us have been working for for 50 years, praise the Lord, right? Amen? The truth is, Roe is dead, and that sent shockwaves across the world. There are countries in the, in the, across the world that are banning abortion because of what they saw in America. It's very rare that you have something that's been a precedent for 50 years get flipped, especially in this direction. And so although we live in Ohio and we see we're kind of dealing with this Ohio situation in the midst of an, a, 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 a national problem, abortion is a global issue. And we're making progress in countries all across the planet. It's the same with the spreading of the gospel. There are places on fire right now with the advancement of the kingdom of God. And the same is true with pro-life. So people around the world have taken courage from the United States because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. So that's a good thing. But we've got a lot of work to do, as you know. And the next several years are going to determine a lot for us as a nation as to how this all kind of shakes out. Here in Ohio, I don't need to tell you guys, but I'll say it just for the sake of argument here, is that we got the vote on, on uh, Tuesday. Now, I have people come up and say, well, Mark, that's just about the Constitution raising it 60%. What does this have to do with the unborn? Let me tell you what it has to do. It has everything to do with the unborn because this is a pro-life vote. This is a pro-life vote. There are congregations that aren't taking a side on this. They just don't understand. This is all about abortion. The other side knows it is. They're making it about it. I was down at the state fair yesterday, in and out information. Their signs say what? Stop the attack on women. They get it. We need to get it. So August 8th, probably already voted, but if you haven't, go out and vote. Today's the last day to vote early. And vote on August 8th. And I will say this. Get on the phone and call everybody you can think of calling. I've been doing it. I mean, some of the people I haven't spoken to in years, and they're wondering, hey, yeah, it's great to hear from you. Well, let me tell you why I'm calling. They're like, oh, okay. But you don't know, understand. Get on the phone and get people to the polls. Do that. Also, if you can take people to the polls, do that as well. This is a turnout election. This is a turnout election. If the church turns out, we win. If the church does not turn out, we lose. And if we lose on August 8th, August 9, we're back at it. We're fighting for this amendment in November, whether it's 50% or 60%. And so it's time to get active. I've told my team, and I have put a banner upon our door as we enter into our office each day, and it says this. 
no regrets. No regrets. This is a historic moment, not just for Ohio, it's for sure, but for our nation. Because Ohio goes, as Ohio goes, so goes the nation, commonly, right? And the pro-abortion people feel like if they can win here, they can win anywhere. But the truth is, if we win here, we've got our beachhead. We've got our Normandy beach. And we can keep this from happening in other places. So it's so important we win this in November, all right? No regrets. And what I mean by that is, when it comes to effort, time spent, money spent, no regrets. We may have regrets about, oh, maybe I should have done this tact or spent, you know, this, this messaging here or that there. There's going to be differences of opinion as to how we maybe go about trying to, you know, get people to, to vote a particular way. But when it comes down to it, did you leave it on the field? Did you leave it on the field? Because we're not going to get a do-over, friends. We're not getting a do-over. If this gets in the Constitution, we are stuck with it for a while, and it may be very, very difficult to reverse. So the next three months are critical. This is a time for the church to rise up, for the pulpits of America and in this state to go on fire for life. So I just pray that you're, you, you do that, that you, you have no regrets on August 9th, and you have no regrets on November 8th. Because that's all we could ask, right? That we did what we could with the resources and the abilities and the gifts that God gave us. So let's win. Let's go out and vote. Let's win on August 8th, and let's win on November 7th. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you all. God bless you. Keep up the fight. Keep it up. Never give up. Amen. Yes. Sure. Well, I mean, it's 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 Jeff's. Amen. Amen. All right. And by the way, you guys got an awesome pastor. Let's give it up for him, eh? When I pulled into the parking lot this morning, I mean, what? <laughs> when I pulled into the parking lot, I said, I'm at the right place. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you. You're Amen. Welcome. Well, we've been challenged, have we not? All right, so we appreciate your time, and I, I don't think I've ever heard that parable broken down like that. So you learn something new every day, but that's good, right? And you, and you bring sober, up sober a, a, a few valuable points, sober. and we say it here all the time. Following Jesus is action, amen? That's right. <laughs> Sitting and doing nothing is an action, but it's a bad action. Ministry, uh, living a life for Jesus is action. 
So we applaud you guys for what you're doing. And, and you know, they're out in the forefront. And, you know, you're on these college campuses. It, it's a different world we live in today. And they don't, they're not afraid to spit at you and cuss at you or, you know, hit whatever. But, yeah, amen, no regrets, right? No regrets. If you're going to follow Jesus, you better not regret it. Because you're going you're gonna to leave this world <laughs> eventually, and you're going to step right into eternity, and you're going to meet your Savior. Hopefully, he's, today, he is your Savior. Amen. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not asking for this, but we're going to do a love offering for Mark and his, and his um, um, foundation that he has started. So, if you didn't come prepared for that and you need to write a check out, how does that check get written? Created equal. Write a check out, please, to created equal. All right, so uh, you take a couple minutes and do that. And, guys, if you'll pass these plates around and you just give as the Lord tells you to give, the Holy Spirit tells you to give, you, you know where this money's going. Not, you know, I, I was told one time, Jeff, you do too many love offerings. Good. Amen. It's God's <laughs> money, is it not? He just gives us the privilege to earn it. Um, but look, look where the money's going to. I said that about with, with John Shirley. John, John's still in Nepal. Um, you, you guys want to look into an organization, Love Goes Home. I don't, John Shirley is in Nepal right now trying to rescue kids mm. uh, from sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. So uh, you talk about folks being in the forefront, and I, and I say that to say this, just draw a circle around yourself and, and do what God's calling you to do, not, not what anybody else. you got to worry about yourself. What's he calling you to do for such a time as this you know, August 6, 2023. Amen. Everybody's got a calling and everybody's got a gift and we need to be using them. Amen. And again, Amen. we're not, we're not going to, you're right. Regardless of come Wednesday, we ain't shutting up. That's right. Amen. We ain't shut. This ain't going away. That's right. Good old Southern language. It ain't going away. All right. It's not, not as long as I'm here. It's not, I'll just say that. We don't talk about it here. We'll talk about it at the pilot station until they run us off. <laughs> Amen? Amen. We're not going to be quiet. Come November, we're not going to be quiet. You can't be quiet. So you, you, you've been challenged, and, and uh, we're going to look for other ways to support that mobile. If you were at the town hall meeting at Cornerstone a couple last month, yeah. Mark had his mobile van there, man. That thing is that thing is top notch, and, yeah. and look what they're trying to do with that, amen. Mm-hmm. So um, be thinking about that, you know, as, as we get ready to leave, you know, um, come greet these guys and chat with them, or if you have any questions, and, um, the, uh, and then when around. we get ready to go, I need I need around. you to help me out for about ten minutes as we need to collapse these tables. And I want to put them in this, this blue room over here for the week because then we'll set the chairs up for the kids. It'll be too hard to corral them around these tables tonight. It won't take long. And then when we stack them in there, just make sure face-to-face and legs-to-legs so we don't scratch them up. So anyhow, am I missing? I say that again? 5.30 tonight. And if you're, that's for dinner too? If you're eating here tonight, dinner will be ready at 5.30. Uh, kids will be showing up somewhere around 6, 6.15. So we're looking for a great week with these. Okay, I'll be here at 6.15. Anyhow. <laughs> anyhow, we thank you for your time and, again, and your message and everything everybody's doing. And, and you guys know that we have a, a abortion recovery at, at our church here. 
All right, Debbie Kaiser houses that. She's certified for it. And I just reiterate, you know, it's not the unforgivable sin. There's one unforgivable sin. One. And that's not it. Not it. Repentance and restoration and and get out from underneath the guilt. Men need it too. Don't don't, don't hide behind it because you're going to answer for it one day. So no sense in hiding behind it. So we're going to pray and then... um, you know, if you want to pray, you feel free to come up here and pray. If you got decisions to make, you know, you let me know. We're always going to give an invitation. All right? There's always an invitation. If you need salvation, if you need prayer, or you want to pray with somebody about something, you know, come and do it. I told you last week, we're already all jacked up, so nobody needs to come in here and think that we're all that because we're not. Amen? We're just up a jacked up bunch of people that love the Lord, and we're going to shout out about it, and we're going to serve him. With no regret, I like it, as we enter back out into that mission field. So we thank our guests for being here today. And uh, let, let's, one final word of prayer. You guys good? You're good? Okay, amen. Um, Father God, again, as we leave here today, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you give us. We thank you for the truth that was presented today, the boldness. That's the, the boldness, as, as it was said. You gave us a spirit of faith, not fear. And, and, and fear is a liar. Fear is from Satan. Jesus set the example. So we can just, as we continue on to leave here today, to love God and to love people. And as we Amen. be with those that couldn't be here for whatever reason to our next appointed time, as, as we leave here today, folks, traveling, Lord, I pray they get them, get them there wherever they're going safely. Because we're, we're selfish that way and and, Lord, you know our hearts. But, and, again, we just want to reach out for this family that has lost that five-year-old, Lord. Just lift them up. And as I sent out a text, whatever our church, if our church can come beside this family, you just let us know because we're going to do that. I pray for Jeff as he's, as, as, as he's just trying to figure out what's wrong with Jeff in the hospital. And I also pray for uh, Miss Tammy brought up uh, Miss Roberts that we've been praying for on Wednesday nights that's going to be going to be going home and hospice is coming in so lord we just lift her up and i know her son comes through our food pantry we know him know him well concerned about his mom so lord uh, your will in the lives of all these situations going on may your will be done not our will your will but until your kingdom comes father god can we be found faithful living and pursuing you In the name of Jesus Christ.